Amen. So let's listen to God's word as uh, Kunar comes and reads to us. Two readings this morning. The first from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, and the second from Romans, chapter 8. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic. Thank you, Ku. Hopefully there's a PowerPoint that's about to pop up. Oh, sorry. I just need to stand in the middle. (laughs) Okay, shall we pray? Father God, we pray now that you would come by your spirit and speak to each of us this morning the word that each of us needs to hear. I pray that you would use the words the thinking that I've prepared and that you would encourage, challenge and inspire us with your word this morning. Amen. So, (laughs) Dave's just put getting the PowerPoint up and then hopefully I'm going to press the buttons here and the different slides will appear on the screen in time. Ooh. This is the remote control that I've got here. So hopefully it's all happening. Let me just start by saying that uh, the next three weeks, I'm going to do a three-week mini-series 
uh, on understanding our gospel identity. There we are. Fantastic. And today, the focus is going to be we are family. Uh, I hope you're not getting too sick and tired of hearing me, but you've got me for the next three weeks, definitely, as I do this little series, understanding our gospel identity uh, and living into that identity. So let me start off by asking you a question. Who are you? When you meet somebody and they ask you that question, who are you, what's your name? Almost invariably, the very next question is, so what is it that you do? You've told me your name, now tell me what is it that you do? What job do you fill your time doing? How do you describe what you do? Uh, And those two questions are almost invariably linked in the first two questions that anyone ever asks. And we're doing that to try and understand something about the person we're just meeting, trying to comprehend something about what makes them tick and something about who they are and their identity. And how we see ourselves dramatically impacts how we relate to one another and to the world around us. So I wonder how is it that you would introduce yourself to somebody else? What would you answer when they say, What is it you do? I think that too often we fall into the trap of trying to define someone by what they do. And back in 2017, Nat West came out with an advertising slogan that was simply, we are what we do. And that sense of linking somebody's identity with what it is that they do. So let me ask you another question. If you steal something, are you a thief? If you failed your maths GCSE, are you a failure? If you call somebody names, if you sin, are you a sinner? I guess that many of us would use those terms as a way of identifying somebody by their actions. And I think that all too often we fall into the trap of thinking, yes, I'm a failure because I got this wrong, I made this mistake, I didn't do very well at school or I failed these exams. Perhaps we label somebody that has stolen something as a thief and that becomes their identity. I stole something so therefore I'm a thief, so therefore I will keep stealing things. Let me ask you a question. If you make your living from making wonderful pieces of furniture, I guess you're a carpenter. If you're a pianist and you make your living from playing the piano as a concert pianist, then perhaps you are a pianist. If you're really good at number crunching and you're an accountant, maybe you're an accountant. So often we understand ourselves by what it is that we do and not who it is that we are. It's almost like we swallow the lie, we are what we do. So whether we've reached the latest sales targets, whether we've enabled enough children in our class to get the A grades, whether we've won enough people for Jesus, I wonder what the tape that is playing in the back of your head is saying to you. The message that we keep listening to that says we are what we do. 
I'm only as valuable as what I've managed to produce at work or what I've been able to deliver. Our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do, our productivity, our ability to perform. And so we begin to believe that lie that we are what we do. So what is that message that's playing in your mind all the time? You've got to work harder to prove that you're lovable. You're not worth anything unless you manage to deliver X, Y, and Z. You're not really significant or important as a person. You failed all those exams. You're a nobody. What's the tape that's playing in the back of your mind? You see, the world would say to, you, to each one of us here, create your identity in the accomplishments that you achieve at work, the relationships that you have, the lifestyle that you live out. I think that sometimes religion is in danger of saying, earn your identity by observance to a set of instructions or laws or by carrying out certain religious rituals. The good news of the gospel is that our gospel identity is given to us as a gift through the blood of Christ on the cross. Through his death and resurrection, we are given a gift, a new identity. You don't earn it through performance by keeping a set of rules or regulations or going through that treadmill of society in order to try and prove that you're somebody worthwhile being noticed and approved of. But rather our identity is given to us as beloved, favoured, loved children of God. And so our actions flow out of an understanding of who we are in Christ rather than the sense of trying to prove something to the world or earn something in order to justify who I am, that I'm lovable, that I'm worthwhile, that I'm significant, that I'm important. The challenge for each and every one of us is to live out that gospel identity about who God says that we are. It becomes a faith issue. It's not about a set of behaviours, but it becomes about a belief in understanding the nature of what our true identity is. And out of that flows a freedom to live out of who we really are. My hope is that as we remember what God has done for us in Christ on the cross, so we will remember who we are. God's beloved children. And that freedom will enable us to live differently. God's activity in the gospel leads to a change of identity for each and every one of us. And by faith, that leads to a changed life. We're not in the business of behaviour modification it's rooted in an understanding of who we are, what our identity is that leads us to live, and our, uh, live out an action that flows out of who we are and our identity. 
Throughout the Bible, identity is always determined by relationships and not by results. When God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Relationship, not results. The Old Testament is full of genealogies. Someone's identity is revealed by who they're related to, their relationship, not what they've done or what they've achieved. In the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is introduced to us by a genealogy. We understand who he is and his identity because of who he's descended from. And so we understand that, therefore, he is human. That's what the beginning of Matthew's Gospel is communicating to us about the identity of who Jesus is. And then in Mark's Gospel, we heard Ku read to us today. Mark is revealing to us the nature of who Jesus actually is. And right at the beginning of Mark's Gospel comes Jesus' baptism. And Jesus is baptised in the River Jordan, and a voice from heaven speaks and says... This is my son in whom I love and I am well pleased. Jesus has not done anything yet. He has not preached one sermon, performed one miracle, done anything extraordinary to deserve or earn God's favour or delight. God looks at Jesus and he says, This is my son in whom I love. He hasn't got anything to prove, nothing to earn. He hasn't done anything. And it starts with those words of affirmation about who Jesus is. But you know, it's the devil's strategy that we believe that we are what we do. It's so easy for our achievements to give us a sense of status or purpose. And that becomes our identity. Our worth and our significance become directly related to what we're able to produce or achieve. The results that we can show and point to and say, look, I did that, therefore I'm significant, I'm important, I'm worth something. At Jesus' baptism, he's done nothing. And the Father says, this is my son. I love him. And people, this is what we've got to understand, that our primary gospel identity is of children of the living God. That you and I have nothing to prove. We cannot earn that favour, that love, that belovedness. There is nothing that you can do that God will go, wow, you're incredible because you did X. None of that matters. He looks at you and he says, Barbara, I love you, you're amazing. You're fantastic. Well, Mark, I love you. You're wonderful. I look at you and, 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 and I delight in you. Nothing to do with our results on our performance. But it's the devil whispering in our ear, you are what you do. You're only as good as your last performance. He seeks to chain us up, to hold us prisoner. In that reading in in Romans 8, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave 
again to fear. Fear that I'll be rejected. Fear that I won't be approved of. Fear that I won't be loved. Fear that I won't be good enough. Fear that I need to work harder to deserve that love. Fear that I'm just unlovable because of who I am. But actually, you've received the spirit that enables you to say, I am a child of the living God. And he is my father in heaven. And he loves me exactly the way that he loved the son and said, you are my son and I am well pleased with you and I love you. And so we then get to call God the Father, the one that created and made the world, the one that is all-powerful, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get to call him Abba, which basically means Daddy. Can you believe that? The one that holds the power of life and death, the one that created all things, the beginning and the end, the king. And he says, you are my child. So if he is the king, if our father in heaven is the king, that makes you and I princes and princesses. Is that how you see yourself? prince or a princess of the king, a child of God, beloved, nothing to prove, nothing to earn, you are his child, his beloved child. I think all of us want to be somebody, all of us are in danger of striving for recognition a sense of trying to prove that we're, we're somebody, we're worthwhile, we're worth loving. But listen, if we're a child of God, we don't need to try to become something or someone. We are someone. Significant, beloved, important, cherished, valued. God delights in you because you are his child. And that you and I need to learn to inhabit this new identity, to be confident in who we are, to allow that identity to shape the way that we live, to bring a freedom to the way that we live because we're God's beloved children. Said so in, in that passage in Romans 8, Uh, he he gave the power to become children of God. Now as you hear that word become, is it something that you think is a gradual transformation and over time I will gradually become that child? That's not what it means. The word become here is that you have become something that you weren't before, but that you are now. You weren't a child of God, you weren't his beloved, but because of Christ and his death on the cross and us saying yes to what he's done, so we become a child of God. We are given a new identity, a new understanding of who we are. And so we have that step into that identity and the freedom to live out what that looks like on a day-to-day basis as God's child. 
We respond to Christ's work on the cross by acknowledging that we need his forgiveness, by trusting what Jesus did on our behalf. And so we're changed from the inside out. God puts a new spirit in us and says, you are now adopted into my family, you are my child, my beloved child, and I love you. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you know that you are a child of God? Because if you don't, I believe that God is calling your name today and saying, you are my beloved. You are my child. I love you. Come to me. Let me put a new spirit within me. Join my family. Know, understand my my all-consuming love for you and allow that to change you. I think this is the single most important truth in the Christian life that we need to understand and the first part of our gospel identity that if God is our father and that we are his children then you and I are part of his family. We're no longer defined by blood relationship but by the relationship that we have with our father in heaven. So you and I are now all my brothers and sisters. We here at Christchurch are a family and the way that we love one another will witness to the world outside to the father that has come in the person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross to reveal his love for a broken world. And the quality of love that we show one to another, because we're family, will show the world out there what Jesus Christ is like. And I just want to urge you, take hold of this new identity, step into it, live it, allow it to flow through you. Let the Spirit shape you, mould you, so that you know in your inner being that you are God's beloved child and allow that to lead to the way that you then work out your daily life as a child of God, of being part of the family of God. That's my encouragement, my exhortation to you today. If you don't know that you're a child of God, when I finish, come and speak to me at the back and let me pray that you would know and experience God's love for you and that you're his child and you're part of his family. And the rest of us, what does it mean for us to be family here at Christchurch, to live out the reality of being one big family, to love each other as Christ loved us? Well, I could go on for hours, but I know that we're supposed to have communion, so what I need to do is I I need to finish. But I, I just really want to urge you to take hold of this truth, this reality, because God's our Father We are family. And that primary gospel identity of being a child of God leads to an understanding that we are family. And that's what we're called to live out and to be. Let me draw things to a close now and just have a moment or two of quiet and just allow some of that to settle and and just notice what it is that you're left with what God's drawing your attention to, what the Spirit is saying to you this morning. Abba Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we are your children. Thank you that Jesus has saved us and brought us into your family.
Thank you that we can find that place of security and love and belonging. Help us to know deep within our hearts, our minds, our soul, that we are your children. Amen.